You're listening to He Kōrero, a community research podcast. Welcome to our second podcast series, Hoki Whakamuri Haere Whakamua, Thinking Back, Going Forward, our webinars and audio. Hear brave kōrero on kaupapa, like valuing worldviews and Indigenous research, the power of refugee research, supporting New Zealand-born Pacific youth and white fragility. This webinar, Hear From Us, Not About Us, The Power of Refugee Background Research, was hosted by Community Research in September 2021. It brought together Batula Riff, Dr. Irene Ayalo, Dr. Gian Basharati, and Dr. Sarah Kinden. It celebrates our special collection of research that focuses on refugee background and migrant experiences in Aotearoa and shares the challenges from these communities. Kia ora whanau. Um, so I'm just going to try, and it was quite a complex process, but I'm just going to try to describe a little bit of what we did. Um, so I was invited to, co- um, to co-curate this collection by a friend and a former colleague, uh, Sue Elliott, who is here with us today, um, and is also a community development uh, practitioner, and with a very keen interest as well in the area of working with refugee and migrant background communities. So um, I think Sue invited me to be part of this project uh, because of um, my two two backgrounds, or many backgrounds, but two specific that were relevant to this particular collection. So a part of that was because I'm from a migrant background. So um, I have that lived experience of being a migrant in New Zealand. So I originally came to New Zealand as an international student uh, in 2006 and transitioned into employment and now to permanent residency. So I can kind of identify with that migrant journey, uh, some of which are covered in our collection. Um, and the other background that uh, probably made Sue invite me to uh, to be part of the collection was because of um, my professionally, um, from a community development background and also a social worker. And I have very keen interest in uh, practice and research and working with people at the margin. So I've done research with women, youth, and with people from refugee and migrant background. And in that particular capacity, I'm now teaching at Unitech. And one of the courses that I teach, and it's a course that I kind of inherited from Sue Elliott while she was at Unitech, is actually working, uh, um, teaching a course on uh, social practice with refugee and migrant background communities. So that that's just some of the background or some of the stuff that I could bring to the project. And uh, that's why I was involved in the project in the first place. So it comes from a place of lived experience, as well as a, a place of interest uh, in my capacity as a practitioner um, and as a researcher. So um, yeah, so how did we come up with the collection? So Sue and I, met and looked at what community research wanted out of the project in the first place or out of the collection in the in the first place. Um, and we looked at this in light of uh, both our experiences of working and teaching and as well as researching uh, as being researchers. So kind of, uh, you know, to, to make it unique, but also to give it some validity and legitimacy. So also looking at it from a research perspective. Um, and for me, as somebody, as an ethnic woman, as someone from a migrant background, um, I wanted a collection that would represent my voice. I was also looking at it from an insider's perspective. So something that uh, would be representative of uh, people from my background. So obviously, as you can imagine, there was quite a lot out there um, and community research already had a collection 
uh, on the old website. So we had a look at what was already there and also identified more based on our, uh, based on um, other databases and uh, in, New in Aotearoa, New Zealand as well. And we came up with a very long list and obviously we couldn't include everything, but we did come up with some guiding principles or guiding criteria that would make this particular collection unique. And for those of us who have had a chance to look at it uh, on the community website, uh, community research website, we can see that uh, to the best of my knowledge, it's probably one of the most unique ones in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So in terms of identifying uh, what we wanted to see in the collection. So uh, first of all, we looked at generally, we looked at research undertaken by people from these communities. Uh, so people like myself, probably uh, people like Jian. So authors or where lead researchers had experiences of migrating to Aotearoa, New Zealand um, as refugees or just as uh, ethnic people. So that was the first thing we looked at. So that was quite broad and we found quite a few in that area. Um, and we also looked at uh, research that, so the, in some cases, the research was not, the authors or the lead people were not from this community, so they didn't have the lived experience. However, uh, the research itself was based on the lived experiences of people from this community. So the key participants were from this community. So that's, uh, that's something we also looked at. Um, and we also kind of prioritized what we call recent research. Um, uh, so kind of 20, uh, say from 2015, which was quite challenging as well, as we'll probably talk about later on. So recent research, we prioritized recent research. Um, and we also kind of critically considered um, in terms of diversity. So we considered topics that we thought that most relevant to our communities, to um, people from refugee and migrant background. Uh, and in saying that, so there were some areas that um, we, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this later on, that there was, we kind of tried to cover each area. So there were research in, there, there was say more research in one particular area than other areas, say domestic violence or family violence. We couldn't really get much in that area. So we kind of also made sure that we were covering all the sort of important areas. Um, and we also we were also looking at uh, or we also ensured that we kind of cover diversity in terms of the different ethnic groups. Um, so, uh, for example, at some point uh, during the collection, we realized that um, you know there were not many perspectives from Asian communities. So we kind of uh, intentionally uh, sought more research in that particular area. Uh, so briefly, uh, those were just some of the uh, some of the guiding criteria or guiding principles that we used in coming up with this collection. Um, and you know, generally, we just wanted a collection that was unique and unique in the sense that um, it was representative of the voices, the diversity within refugee and migrant background communities, and covering the most practical issues. Uh, affecting these communities. And if you look at the introduction to the collection that we put up on the website, it kind of covers um, a lot of uh, what we wanted to emphasize or what made this particular collection unique.
Thank you very much. Batul, I'd just like to invite you to talk about why, why was this collaboration with um, community research important for change makers? Uh, change makers in the past used to host a research directory on refugee related um, issues uh, in the past, but somehow it got disconnected, unfortunately. When I joined change makers, I used to receive a lot of uh, emails and requests from the researchers and uh, uh, from the communities as well. So I was kind of like, okay, there's that huge demand uh, from the communities and the researchers what can we do? And unfortunately, uh, when I joined in, uh, I was working as a uh, I was working as an office coordinator. Uh, we don't have a lot of we all work part time within the community organizations. Not a lot of resources, but yeah, I kind of like yeah realized the importance of having this collection. So I started working on my free time, getting this collection from archive database which we fortunately have and then uh, I started collecting those and uh, there was a time that uh, we had those, co the, those collection and then we needed a platform there we can host that again that was a matter of the resources so unfortunately as you all aware of that community organization needs a lot of like yeah most of the organization we need a lot of help and support and funding from the government, but for the research, it is really hard to find those fundings. So we just start looking, okay, what is what is out there in the community who has those uh, expertise? And uh, we started looking for collaboration. So, and I think we came up uh, with community research, Gretchen, uh, who is amazing uh, fellow uh, colleague and a friend as well. So she links us with community uh, community research who has a great co-papa and we, we quite agree um, with the co-papa. So that's how we got connected with community research. And I think within the community organization, there's a lot of need of collaboration and change makers um, strongly believe in that collaboration. Yeah, so we have to be like more kind of open and about what, what resources we have, what we don't. So we just quite open and going back to other communities and uh, community organizations. And uh, I think that's how we got uh, the open-mindedness and the collaboration is key for change makers. So that's how we got, we have now this amazing research collection, which we are hosting with community research. And that's just wonderful yeah thank you and it's just been an absolute pleasure to work with you and all the team jacks at change makers irene just back to you what gaps did you find when you were looking at both change makers collection and the work that was being done there and what you found in this new collection one of the things that um you know we found while putting uh, together this collection is that there were quite a lot of pieces that were um uh, there were quite a lot of pieces that we couldn't include one because some of them were overly theoretical and academic. And therefore we felt that they could not be easily translated into practice. Um, so, I mean, you know, theoretically they were very, very brilliant um, 
uh, for academic purposes, but then, yeah, like I said, could not be easily translated into practice. So we couldn't exclude those. And also that uh, there were quite a number of research that um, were undertaken, particularly if you look at the strict definition of research, there were quite a lot of pieces that have been done by international postgraduate students. Um, and who for several reasons, uh, including uh, difficulties with getting um, visas to stay on, have since re uh, returned to, um, to their countries of origin. And the other thing that I think I, I highlighted earlier on was the fact that there were areas of practice or uh, areas that really do affect our communities. So things like uh, family violence or domestic violence, but there's not so much uh, research uh, in that area. So that was that was a gap or that was uh, uh, challenging as well. Thank you. Um, and also, you know, shout out to the New Zealand Family Violence Clearinghouse who do an amazing work and perhaps there's a beautiful collaboration there just waiting to happen. Irene, um, I'd like to now invite you to launch uh, a virtual cutting of a red ribbon in, in your own way. So I came up with a blessing and um, I want to acknowledge my dad because I did call my father, who is usually my kind of cultural advisor. He said to me, you know, in launching this particular collection and for being Kenyan and from a Kenyan perspective, you know, in our writing, in our research, we bring everything that is about us. We bring it, we bring um, our ancestors, our communities, and as we say uh, in Ubuntu or in our uh, most African cultures that I am because we are. So this is a blessing that sort of incorporates some of the um, most important aspects of um, African philosophy or worldviews, if you like. We give praise to the universe. We give praise to Mother Earth. We give praise to all of nature and its beings. We give praise to all our guiding spirits. We give praise to our ancestors. We give praise to all that came before us in this journey, sharing our joys and our struggles. We give praise to our elders. We give praise to all those who have cared for us, protected us, guided us, and loved us. And may this collection of research inspire us to a greater understanding of our togetherness and solidarity. Amen. Thank you, Irene. That was, that was beautiful. I'd just like to move on now to talk about some research methodologies that suit this kind of research where we bring about the whole of people's lives and we let that guide the research. Um, Irene, just maybe just um, briefly for you, why does this kind of methodology help protect refugee migrant background people during the process and then in the sharing of the research? So when I was thinking about this particular collection and the methodologies that I would um, I, I have used myself and I would ideally like to see used with people from our communities. Um, this particular quote by Bell Hooks came to my mind. Uh, so Bell Hooks once said that uh, the, the kind of research that has been done from our community, our communities kind of, it's sort of like, you know, no need to hear your voice when I can talk about you, then you can speak about yourself. No need to hear your voice. Only tell me about your pain. 
I want to know your story. And then I will tell it back to you in a new way that it has become mine, my own. Rewriting you, I write myself anew. I'm still the author, the authority, the colonizer, the speaking subject, and you are now the center of my talk. Yeah, so it's about, yeah, you're giving us, you're giving people the opportunity to tell you their story, tell you who they are, but however, rewriting that from your own perspective. So the research methodologies that I see that we were kind of trying to highlight in this collection is moving away from that. Um, it's about sharing the space of hearing people's stories, but not rewriting it to how we see people, but writing it the way people see themselves. So if we look at our communities uh, from refugee and migrant background, the immigration process adds a very complex um, layer to some of the issues that, that we experience, that people experience. So research in these communities is usually about um, at the center of it should be self-determination. Tino Rangatiratanga, as we say in Te Ao Maori, um, it should be about transformation. It should be about mobilization. It should be about healing. Um, it should be about decolonization. And obviously one of the research uh, methodologies or methods that are found quite useful um, for addressing those issues, for giving people a voice, um, creating an opportunity for people to be engaged in the research process from the beginning uh, to the very end is participatory uh, action research. So, um, so it's not about saying, oh, no one else can, um, no one else can, can come into our communities and do research. It's just about acknowledging, you know, our communities being more than just informants. Uh, being more than just uh, telling us their stories of pain and then we rewrite it. It's research that begins on the premise that um, our participants or our people are capable of learning, uh, they're capable of changing, uh, and they're capable of developing, uh, transforming their world. They have the capacity to develop solutions for the issues that um, they face in their community. So that's the kind of research methodology. I could say a bit more, but uh, I think Sarah might wanna add on to this, but that's that's the kind of research methodologies that I, I, I would ideally, I use with our communities and I would ideally like to see people use with our communities. Thank you, that's very beautifully put. Sarah, you're a passionate and highly experienced participatory action research uh, practitioner. What's been your experience in PAR and why do you think this is a good method for this kind of collection and, and also moving forward? Um, thanks, Janie. So yes, I've been working with participatory action research in one form or another for about 30 years um, in different contexts, overseas in Costa Rica and Indonesia, and then coming to Aotearoa, working with uh, Te Iwi Onati Hoati in the central Rangatike, and then since 2005 with different refugee background communities, particularly refugee background youth and women in Wellington, but a couple of projects also I'll talk about later nationally. For me, participatory action research, like Irene said, is about recognizing that whoever we're working with and trying to understand, they're the experts in their lives. They're the ones who actually know from the inside the lived experience 
And they're the ones that actually have that deeper knowing of what needs to change and what they want to see. So for me, working within a participatory action research approach, it's very oriented to social justice. It's very oriented to critical analysis. And it's working always to work alongside, work to uplift and work to honor the knowledge and the solutions that can be found uh, by the people themselves, whatever, that, whatever they're living in. And I think also what's wonderful about participatory action research is that it can take so many different forms because it grows out of the relationships, it grows out of the issues. So it's very dynamic, it's more than a method, it's not something that you pick up a toolbox and you apply. It's something that becomes, it's emergent, it gets created, and it's unique every time, or it should be anyway, if it's truly reflecting the relationships. And at the heart, it's about really preserving the commitment to ethical, respectful relationships. And as, as Irene mentioned, tinoranga tiratanga, self-determination. And so it means that there's also a lot of creativity. And in recent years, you know, I've been doing a lot with different creative methods. So bringing in aspects of photography, or I worked in the iwi context with video, supporting Amber, who's here, Amber Kale, um, her beautiful work with painting, with body mapping, also working with textile methodologies, sewing to tell stories and understand the migration journey through creating tapestries. Really the sky's the limit, but it's about keeping the relationship at the heart and negotiating and co-creating a research journey that is truly reflective of what people live and experience and want to see change and telling those stories in a way that can then impact and influence others. Lovely, thank you. Um, Jian, you're a great passionate person for research for uh, former refugee and um, migrant background communities to be done by researchers who have that lived experience. Mm. Why is that important to you? Kia ora, thank you. Um, giving a voice to people from refugees and migrant background in this area is very important. It's one thing to be a researcher and to do good research, but it's another thing when you are a researcher and you have lived experience. So when you're on the ground in the grassroots, there's a lot of things that you see that often in the universities, people miss because they're not there. Migrants and refugees, obviously, we, there's a lot of people coming into New Zealand and we go through the New Zealand education system. We are bought up here. It's an asset for New Zealand that these people are stay here and are valued. So we have a collection of knowledge that is created by our community because they are the ones who knows what's best for us. And if you do a research paper on say an African community or, or an Afghani community, the methodology that you create, it's important because there are so many different tribes within each community. And there are so many different leaders within that community and each tribe respond differently to a certain situation. In my family, we will have third generations of former refugees. What we create for their future is really important in terms of 
how we are brought up and our values and um, what we put out there to build a foundation for social cohesion. When we are looking at diversity, what does that look like to us? When we are looking at multiculturalism, uh, what does that look like? So I think it's really important, going back to the question, that we understand who is in the community and who have a lived experience and, and who are passionate about working with refugees and migrants, and we keep these people here. Over the years, I've seen a lot of people move overseas. It's, it's, it's a tough to, to keep people here because they are uh, an asset and we shouldn't be losing them to overseas. And I'll, I'll stop there. But Till, what's your response to this? I know you, you know you have had experiences um, of this as well about that you need allies and we'll, I think we'll get onto you know, a question about allies a bit later on, but why is this important to you? I think it's quite important to have the researchers from our own communities, this kind of like, yeah, uh, at one level, we are removing that power distance, usually like yeah, from the community, especially the grassroots when we go and connect with the communities for any project, for any research, for anything, there is a power distance. And that is not what people on the grassroots feel that I think uh, many of us uh, like Jian might be Irene and I myself has experienced that power distance and experience power distance on daily basis. So that is something we have to be really mindful of that as well. Having that safe space to the communities, it's very important for us. And somehow I feel there is a big gap in that in the research space, because if a researcher who is from different community from not with the lived experiences, that's one thing that our communities mostly struggle that for the researchers, it might be just a story, just a, just a report or just a paper for them to get to the other level. But for us, like, yeah, that is not just a story. That is the whole life, the experiences that, that, that we want to tell the world that this is what we go through. And unfortunately, I feel, okay, there's a good selection of uh, collections here. And I think, I might go into the next level of the question. I feel like, yeah, how are we gonna use this research? Because um, from the last 20 years until now, like, yeah, we see, especially the former refugee communities, we see no such changes has been made. Like, yeah, recently change makers uh, has done or still uh, doing a, a research around the acceptance, belonging and inclusion of refugee background communities. And it was quite shocking and alarming to see the themes that are coming out are mainly discrimination, racism, and exclusion. And if we see the past research papers from the 20 years before, the themes were same. So it is kind of so disappointing to see that in 20 years time, we, we have done nothing. And even the policies that which has been made for us, we were not included in the process like the resettlement strategy, strategies or even the existing immigration policies that has been made for us that are not culturally appropriate. Our communities go through a lot of that just because of these policies where people not at the center of those policies. So I think that's quite a lot of work has to be done, especially in New Zealand in that sector, because we want things to be changed. Yeah, and I think having these 
research to validate our voices, we can like literally go to the government and tell them the policymakers that yes, the policies that which you made and has not even been reviewed like yeah, 10, 12, 20 years before, there is time to change. And if we have this research to prove that, I think that's kind of like, yeah, give us more courage and hope to change the policies that's not working for us. And we don't like, yeah, yeah. I think I should stop. Yeah, let others stop. Yeah. Well, I don't think you should ever stop. Thank you so much. Um, Irene, just maybe just um, briefly for you on this around the work that you're doing at Unitech around compulsory cultural competency for researchers or social workers who are not from the communities that they seek to totoko and, and serve. Would you like to say something about that? I guess it's sort of, it's, it's, such, it's a challenge, but it's also a, a, an area that I do celebrate that as part of, uh, our, you know, picking up from what Batul was talking about, uh, we need to keep, uh, to keep everything current. So policies, and, and that includes our training institutions as well. Um, and as part of that, uh, a few of us, and I, Ngamihi um, Tusu Elliot, uh, who is with us today, that at Unitech, we started that advocacy, we started that campaign. So like I said, one of the courses that I currently teach uh, is on, uh, so I train, we are part of training social workers, so social workers, so people who are going to be uh, going out there and working with our communities. Um, so in the past we've had the course, but it was an elective. So not everybody um, had to do it. Not all our graduates had to do it. And the majority of the time, in fact, all the time, we ended up only having people from migrant and refugee background choosing the course, which kind of makes no, it makes a difference, but it's like preaching to the choir anyway. So it was a very long process and through advocacy. So at the moment I'm celebrating the fact that now the course is compulsory. So all our students have to do it. And that gives me uh, a sense of uh, fulfillment. It gives me a sense of comfort, knowing that the social workers that we are training are going to have that cultural competency, that skill to be able to work effectively with our communities uh, from a refugee and migrant background, yeah. Wonderful, thank you, Irene. Um, so now I'd like to move into a kind of an area around what is required for systemic change. So it's awesome to have this beautiful research, but we need to move into action. There's no point research sits there that sits in institutions that doesn't get out to communities for action. So Jeanne, I'd like to invite you to talk a bit about what is required for systemic change. This um, research in the area is in particular for refugees. It's a long time coming movement. And for me, I've just started with Professor Herb and Dr. Nadira to do some research on entrepreneurship. And I, I, I like seeing that universities have picked up and individuals have picked up research based on these vulnerable communities. Systematic change, it's not just in our education institutions. It has to happen within government, uh, within the institutions, um, where there may be community groups or within a city council or nationally within government, because the population of New Zealand is becoming multi-ethnic. I wouldn't call us diverse. Yes, there is diversity in certain workplaces, but as a country, 
we are not diverse, neither we, we are not also multicultural. We have to work really hard to get there. And in order to become multicultural, then diverse, then we lead into social cohesion. So we have to be very careful when we say these two words because you need to think about the communities and what changes we need to make in these levels. For over a decade, I've been advocating in the community. First five years, I presented in the resettlement uh, strategy forum for immigration and refugees. For five years, they repeated the same thing. Four years, I was a guest speaker there. We were talking on about solutions or what change needs to happen. And every year with a different theme, we repeat the same thing. And whenever we suggested we need to collect data, we need to look at research to see what's happening on the ground. Oh, it's too expensive. We need a lot of resources. As, uh, I think running that those programs at a forum is more expensive than the research. So why don't we put some effort into making a plan for the next five to 10 years and look at our community and see what's going on and what changes we need to create. So now we are looking at social cohesion. Within the refugee community, we're not even there to discuss social cohesion. We are looking at the New Zealand National Refugee uh, Resettlement Strategy and we're looking at family reunification and we're looking at issues that are, we're having with asylum seekers and the way they have been treated in our system. So when we are moving too fast, we, ha we haven't done the, uh, the work on the ground yet to get to where we are going. The government needs to really put a lot of effort into research, into keeping people here who are educated in New Zealand, who can lead the narrative because we have a long way to go and it's time to stop ad adapting what works best overseas and then adapting their, their framework for New Zealand. We are very unique in New Zealand. New Zealand is a very, very young country, okay? So previously, people who migrated here were from England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. Now we have over 213 ethnic minorities living here. If you think about that, for me, I worry about the future of what New Zealand could look like when it comes to social cohesion. So if we do not change in our, in systematically, then we have an issue on our hands where multiculturalism can either become a hostile, aggressive uh, type of environment, or we can become a society where we understand one another. We acknowledge each community for the beauty that they, they present. Um, so there has to be a fine balance. And I'm not saying that all the work needs to be just done by government. We are doing the work in the community. We are working very hard. We are not resourced. We are not funded. We are doing what we can for the future of our country because our kids are the future generations and leaders of New Zealand. So I'll, I'll stop there. But as I said, there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be uh, happening. I love the collection. Uh, that's um, and that and and that's happening at the moment to see what work has been done nationally in New Zealand and and I acknowledge all the researchers and the people who are doing work for for the community and looking at these vulnerable groups because we have a long way to go. Thank you, Jian. Um, Sarah, I know you you have some incredible experience around the institutional change that's needed. Um, for example, more scholarships for post grad students. Just like to ask all the panelists, just so we, we for just spend a minute or two talking about what does an ideal world look like when we have 
research done in a way that you think is honourable and respectful and sustainable and brings about transformation in these communities that everyone in a goodwill way seeks to serve. What does it actually look like? Maybe go back to you, Irene, and just say a couple of things or focus on one, whatever you'd like. And what does this ideal world look like? Um, I think for me to begin with, uh, an ideal world uh, for me is a world where uh, people going into these particular communities um, so, like I said at the beginning, not but not necessarily saying that uh, you have to be from a, a refugee and migrant background to do research and to work with the communities. Um, however, saying that for me, an ideal world uh, would be uh, people working with our communities to have a very well-informed view um, of the social worlds of our people. And as Batul said, that um, these are not just stories. Um, what our people share are not just stories, they are actually lived experiences. So having a very good understanding of the social world and understanding their perspectives on different issues, as you probably know that there are a lot of issues that um, affect most people in Aotearoa New Zealand, uh, our ethnic uh, communities will have a very different perspective from their cultural understanding. So respecting those perspectives and interpreting those perspectives, not from where we are standing, but in from where in a kind of a co-constructed research environment. So ideally I'd like us to have a co-constructed research environment or um, a co-facilitated practice environment, so involving both perspectives. And I think, um, like I, 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 as I pointed out, it will help us, you know, uh, address issues such as lumping refugees and migrants in one category all the time. You know, I still get surprised even after many years of living in New Zealand that people still don't know the difference. Um, and for me, the, the important thing about not lumping everybody in one group is about uh, support services, designing support services, uh, because we know that um, the, the different immigration pathways have come with different experiences. And if we lump people in one group, then we are not actually addressing their needs that are specific to say former refugees and are specific to migrants. So in an ideal world, I'd love us to have that understanding so that we are able to uh, have appropriate support uh, services and intervention strategies. Batul, what's one thing that's in your your ideal world? I'm not a researcher, so I can just talk as a as a member of the community. What ideal will look like to me is that uh, for the organization, especially and especially most especially for the government organizations, uh, don't employ people just for the sake of diversity. It's really really important for them how to work with these diverse communities and how to listen to them and how to make opportunities for them to listen to them and make and provide the pathways where they can they can be themselves and trust their abilities and don't judge them and don't let them to prove themselves on every step of their lives we are capable of so many things don't just judge us just by how well English we can speak, don't, don't, please don't do that. If we are really like here, yeah, if we are really uh, committed about bringing change in the system, so we have to work uh, in partnership 
not just like here as a subgroup to any organization. We don't want to be a subgroup. We want to work like as ally, as partners. So yeah, embrace the diversity. Please give them safe space where they can be themselves and talk about the hard, uh, uncomfortable stuffs. Give them the, uh, the, the opportunity where they can talk about the, the challenges, the difficulties that they face on every step of their life if we are committed to bring change in the society. Otherwise, no matter how many diverse people you will employ in, the, in your organizations, if you don't give them the opportunity, nothing will change. And after 20 years later, we will be talking again about this diversity and all this having who is and nothing will change if we, we are not able to share that power with the communities. I, I don't think so. There, the change can happen. So we have to be, we have to be a good allies. We have to be a good partners, and we have to be, we we have to share the power. We have to be ready for that stage to share power with the communities, where they will be able to like yeah, make decisions for themselves. Thank you, Jian. Would you like to respond in a in a in a minute uh, in one within one minute? Something that is in your ideal world. My ideal world. Um, I think people come to New Zealand with this vision of inclusiveness and fairness and um, peacefulness. The, the, everybody who come here, they have they have a vision of what New Zealand looks like. And I just want to build a society where we have access to resources and we give chances to people. We no longer live in a world where we rely on tokenism to make it look like we are diverse as Batul said. And don't use refugees and migrants and tokens. Utilize their strength and create the change that we need to see in New Zealand um, so that we can be, become a socially cohesive society. Thank you. And Sarah, what's in your ideal world? Oh, too many things for a minute, but the top three, perhaps. Um, for me, um, in this space, it's, it's about doing the work to build and support capacity and priorities of my colleagues, like those on the panel speaking today and many of you here. Um, but it's also about doing the work with people like me, um, so calling the leaders and in institutions to account, um, doing what I can to raise awareness for the next generation of researchers to be more mindful, to be more aware. It's also about um, finding ways to support and grow the research capacity that Jian talked about. And I know that Irene and Batul care about deeply. So trying to find ways to get more scholarships at postgraduate level to really increase the number of masters and PhD researchers who know the lived experience, but understand different ways of researching who can go on to affect change and become the trainers of future generations. So that's what I'd like to see. Thank you. Would anyone like to pose a question? Um, Sue's just asked what community research is doing to make the collection sustainable. We, we in a, in a co-collaboration way, co-creation way, we don't know. We're going to listen to the community about what they need. So that is our approach. We will listen to what um, we will listen to what people need. We need resources to do this. We all live off the smell of an oily rag. 
if uh, people, if there are policymakers who really need this research for their mahi, um, and you are in a position to fund and, and come along with us, please do let us know. We did talk about ways to keep this collection sustainable. And Jian, you talked about how we need to nurture researchers, this cohort, past cohorts, future cohorts. How can we do that? You have an, you, you've just started a new as a refugee research center. Would you like to talk just briefly a little bit about that? So actually for a long, long, long time, the reason why I got into becoming an academic was because of doing community research to influence policy making uh, changes that needed to happen systematically. So over the years, there's been a lot of people that I looked up to who were academics, but they left the country, who were former refugees. So over the years, going around the country, you meet a lot of former refugees. And now that I've um, met the right people uh, who have similar values and are passionate about creating that narrative that we need to make for research, we decided it's the right time to build an organization called Refugee Research Center, Research by Refugees for Refugees. So we are giving the platform for former refugees to flourish so that um, they are resourced, they are valued uh, as an as a academic member or a community member who are um, working really hard to create change in New Zealand. And it gets, if you're not resourced, it gets really hard. And along the way, you have other commitments, you need to look after your family, um, and if you're not resourced, your, your, the pathway shifts. And I don't want that to happen to former refugees who are in the academic field. I want them to feel supported. I want them to have a foundation where uh, they get into work and they love what they're doing and they're being paid for it. Not just all the time researchers in, within the refugee community, it's always take, 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 and there's no give. You're just emptying their bucket. And if they don't feel valued, they're not going to stay here. And a lot of people are being recruited to Australia, and it's sad to see that. So the Refugee Research Center, we just a couple of weeks ago got registered. So um, I'm really proud of the team who are on there. And soon we will be releasing our website and, um, and more information about that. But regardless of where I go in the future, I'm always going to be working on that organization because it's a passion of mine. Um, this is my home. This is where my family lives and um, I really want to create a better future for our communities here. Thank you Jian and, and uh, we've talked about this before but community research is right behind you. you. Um, I would like to give the last word to Batu. From me I think I just want to say that uh, as a community former refugee community and migrant communities they go through a lot of a lot of challenges with the resettlement, we need we need things to be changed which are not working. We don't want people to get discriminated by the way they look. We don't want to face them racism. We don't want we want to make we want to see a fair and just society, and that is and that is our right to see uh, what we want for ourselves and for our future generation. We don't want to see our kids, our future generation to go through the, so, the same that what we have been through. So I think it's really important to come up together and work together to make a fair and just society for everyone in Aotearoa. 
Thank you. You're listening to Hekoreroa, a community research podcast.